Welcome to Recommissioned, a Battlestar Galactica podcast by LSG Media. Hi, I'm Dean, and I've seen every episode of BSG. Hi, I'm Matthew, and I haven't seen any episode of BSG. On this week's episode, we bring you Season 1, Episode 11, Colonial Day. What I have to say is, we... We must survive, and we will survive. And we will do so through the values that have made our colonies great. Courage, truth, justice, liberty. With a firm and deep resolve to make tomorrow better, not, not just for ourselves, but for our children. All right, we are back once again, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Dean, that is Matthew. And we got to get to Colonial Day. This is our last episode before the two-part conclusion to season one. And uh, we are both coming off a fresh watch of Colonial Day. As you heard in the intro, Matthew's never seen the show before. I have, so I know it's going to happen. He doesn't. And now we have finally watched an episode I've been waiting for him to watch because I've been waiting to see how he was going to respond to it. I've been very curious about this. And uh, joining me now is Matthew. So, Matthew, first of all, how you doing this fine evening? And second of all, how did you like Colonial Day? I'm doing good. I enjoyed it. You know, this is probably, I, I of all of the House of Cards I've seen so far, this is definitely one of the best ones. How is Frank Underwood and them Hazard Boys going to get out of this one? Good <laughs> Lord. <laughs> no good shit, political right? drama. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, I enjoy it. I like, I, first off, Really enjoyed how well the show can pivot from a, a very military, you know, operations episode to this kind of political, not courtroom drama, but, you know, a political affair. And it was it's political still, thriller-ish. Yeah. And it was interesting. It was well done. Um, but, I mean, to be honest, to come, coming off the last episode, which is still probably my new favorite of the season so far, it's a little bit of a step down. Not a bad episode. Not bad at all. But, uh, oh. That last episode was. I'm still still riding the high of the hand of God. Yeah, yeah, still riding high up on the hand of God, are you? Oh yeah, he does me so right. <laughs> well, if you uh, if you're new here, uh, we are two friends. I've seen the series. Matthew hasn't, and uh, our conversations reflect that fact. We will open with our initial impressions of the episodes, as we're doing right now. We will then explicate our way through it. We got some trivia to get to. Uh, which we're going to explain in a few minutes here. And uh, then we'll wrap with some final thoughts. And uh, each week we're going to cover an episode of this television show until we're done, until whenever done. that is. Hopefully we're done when the, when when we're at the last episode of season four. <laughs> That's the goal. <laughs> so uh, a little bit of a step down. Do you want to elaborate or give more of a high-level uh, opinion on Colonial Day? High-level opinion? I am still – it's funny – I, we've talked a lot about how mysterious the Cylons are and how tough it is to decipher their goals and their motivations and what's happening. And it's funny, this episode, again, comes down to more kind of, you know, the last episode we talked a little bit about how the Cylon agents and the, the Cylon underhanded story had been kind of left aside. And it was a very human story of them, uh, you know, getting a small victory against the Cylons and achieving it, getting the fuel. This episode is even further away from the Cylons. It's very much, you know, the, the affairs between the humans and the different sides and factions we're seeing growing there. 
that all being said, their motivations are just as mysterious. I, I come away from this going, what the hell does Zarek want? Who, who was Vance? What does that, what does any of this mean? I'm still coming out of it with more, way more questions and answers. Um, part of which I enjoy and part of which I am kind of just confused by. I, it's a big, messy political stage and, yeah, no, this is this is an interesting episode. I, I can't wait to get into it. And I, I it's funny, I, I realized watching this episode too that I, I feel myself leaning more and more toward Rosalind. I fucking like Rosalind. I'm I'm border I have to like keep myself from being like a Rosalind apologist. I'm like, okay, she's not perfect, but there are times where I just I'm just like, oh hell yeah. I'll just join the fucking the iron front of Rosalind. There you go. It's funny, I um I really recall this episode very fondly in my memory. And I was, I thought you, I, I gotta be honest. I thought you were going to be more excited about it. Uh, it's okay that you weren't. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I never want to disappoint you, Dean. No, that's okay. <laughs> as long <laughs> as you're honest, that's all we care about. Uh, I happen to, uh, my, my impressions of this episode, of course, having already seen it before watching it for this podcast is, uh, my memories were how fond I thought of Gaius in this, how great, I think James Callis was in this episode <laughs> and um, watching this. Uh, it's funny, y- your initial impressions, you're talking about Tom Zarek and, and, and Roslyn. My impressions are, I'm just thinking about Guys Baltar. And I think that's what's cool about not only doing a podcast on this show because there's a lot going on in it, um, but th- it's a compliment to the way the show has been constructed. You're, focusing, you're focused on Roslyn and Zarek and wondering what's going on there and the political machinations within, I'm thinking about, holy shit, what has Gaius gotten himself into? <laughs> and what does that mean for the future of the show? And that was my takeaway off, off, of, the, off the top. And uh, I'm looking forward to getting into it. But I just remember being very excited about, holy shit, did Gaius Baltar, uh, somebody you could consider to be consorting with the enemy, just stumble into the second most powerful chair behind a leader that is dying of cancer uh, is is guys gonna lead this fucking fleet what what is going on that was my initial impressions when i first watched this especially yeah. since we're drawing to the end of a, of a season i'm not saying yeah. i'm right or wrong about those assumptions because i don't want to spoil but i am saying that that was 100 what i was thinking when i watched colonial day i was like well zarek kind of they 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 sort of stomped the flames out on him he's still smoldering he might catch fire but he's kind of been swept under the rug by the way he's been handled here but Gaius is now in the spotlight uh, figuratively and literally <laughs> yeah and you know and I the thing that I like the most about his storyline this episode is how stumbly like you say he goes you know hit his first line of dialogue in this episode when he's talking to Kara is just like oh god like politics like how boring it's the one thing more right. boring than this and it's a bunch of just trite speech making and then he has a big dumb trite pandering speech right and that right. launches him into the office basically it's amazing and, and it's it's great because it says so much about politics at the same time which is so funny about it <laughs> and uh there there is I'm, I'm looking forward to getting into some of these scenes there's not a lot that happens i will say this not much happens in this episode. Gaius becomes vice president and Zarek in, in, in we have a huge reveal at the end, right? Pretty much. For Hilo. I mean, it's, it's massive. Yeah. He sees a familiar face. <laughs> One he already loves. It's too late. You can't run from your love, Hilo. So yeah, pretty wild. That's a, that's a huge reveal. So those are the, the two major things in this, I think, is Gaius moving into the vice president position after the quorum of 12 delegates voted him in uh some great stuff with Rosalind uh when she's 
uh, the, the, the standout moment in this episode, which I'm looking forward to talking to, is when she decides it will be Gaius. Uh, that's a great scene, and I like the way it unfolds. But yeah, not a lot happens. I think I think this is more of a, a seed for future events uh, leading up to yeah. a two-part finale called Kobold's Last Gleaming. Ooh, I like that yeah, title. Not bad, right? So, Matthew, before yes. we go into explicating our way through this episode... Why don't we get into our uh, the first part of our trivia segment? The uh, the last part of our tri- trivia segment, of course, will come at the end of the episode. But maybe you can tell the good people what that is and what we're going to be doing in a few minutes for a few minutes here. Oh boy, oh boy! Well, at the conclusion of the last episode, the one prior to this, the hand of God, Dean gave me some trivia questions about what may be happening on this episode, and me having not seen it. Wandered blindly into the dark, waving, hoping that I'm going to get some of these right. Asked me a couple of true-false questions. I gave him my answers. And then we will find out now how many of these I actually got right. And we're going to have more for the next episode at the end of this one. So, let's see. Let's see if I can feed my babies Mm. on these results, on these winnings. Well, you did pretty well. So, the trivia questions to tease. And what we're doing is, is we're teasing episodes. We're teasing possible things that might happen without outright spoiling them. So, question one was, Starbuck pursues a romantic relationship with uh, someone unlikely, and we clarified by saying it might not necessarily be a person. Uh, You said false. The answer was, of course, false. So, you got that right. You got me scared at the end of this episode, though. I was like, oh, shit. Is this going (laughs) to turn into one? But I think we're safe. The next question was, Guy's Baltar is unwittingly elected to political office. You said false. It was true. Mm. He had no idea. He was like, oh, I have been? Interesting. <laughs> Classic Baltar. Three, Tom Zarek's relationship with an assassin causes a rift between him and his supporters. You said true, right? Did you say true there? I think so. I think I said, I'm trying to remember my answers. <laughs> uh, of course, the answer is true. Got it. Where are we next here? So um, you got one right, one wrong, one right. That's not bad. Not bad. Uh, next one. President Rosalind plays politics and gains an unlikely ally while hurting a good friend. You said Ooh. true. It is true. Of course, Wally Gray. Oh, Wally Gray. Or Wally. That, that little cat's paw. <laughs> Used and abused. And then finally, Hilo learns about Sharon's true identity but decides that she is different and moves forward with her. You said true. Of course, the answer is false. <laughs> Hilo, not so open-minded as I thought. <laughs> he fucking flips and takes off. See ya. A little more, little more Cylon bigoted than I thought he was going to be. Yeah, well, you got three out of five right. I'd call that a win for you. So congratulations, sir. Good job. Nice. All right. Got to keep this up. Yeah, At the house. You're, you're doing well the last couple. We'll have some. Uh, we'll have some teaser questions that will uh, tease Cobol's uh, last gleaming part one. However, in Cobol's last gleaming, we will not ask trivia questions for the second one, just because it's really a conclusion, and I don't want to get too cute with spoiling anything. So, the trivia segment that's going to come at the end of this episode will be the final one we do for season one. The last episode will not contain one. So, just as a heads up. As you, uh, if you've been following us faithfully, as we hope you have, then uh, you will know that uh, we do this every week. We're just not going to do it for the final episode, All right? Which makes sense because we're not going to be able to address them <laughs> unless we're doing it in the next season. So, <clears throat> all right. So we'll come back. We'll do trivia at the end. That will tease Cobol's last gleaming. But for now, Matthew, why yes. don't we start out with a little trip to Cloud Nine? 
We'll go to Cloud Nine. We will uh, we will see what's going on in our in our uh, colonial lives and see what the good people have in store for us. So <laughs> we uh, we meet this. Uh, I I like this season. Uh, this season, I like this immediately. This was something I was favorable on because this opening him the uh, the newscasters in here. What I like to call yes. the space fox and friends hanging out yes. in front of a fucking fountain. Yes, I like this a lot because. It, it starts to remind you that it's not simply a caravan, of a, a military caravan, that people are trying to assert some sort of normalcy or, or even maintain normalcy, which is funny when you think about it this way because there, it's not like this has been a long time in that it's this post-apocalyptic, I mean, it's post-apocalyptic, but an immediate post-apocalyptic. So these people haven't even really gotten used to not having jobs. So they're, it's almost like they're going through the motions of still having these types of jobs. And this is something Zara kind of talks about, which is something I really appreciated about this episode. Some of his perspective was actually pretty cool, but we see it here. It's part of us thinks, wow, they're bringing the media back. Was it ever really gone though? You know, was yes. it ever really well, gone talk- for any strength of t- uh, any length of time? That's the thing. They, they, they hint at it in prior episodes. They say, oh, the talk among the, you know, the colonies, civilians, all this. And you wonder, it's like, well, what does that mean? Are they on message boards talking to one another? But it is, it's, it's fairly traditional in its sense. There is still a media team out there. There's, mm-hmm. there's news, there's broadcasts of some kind keeping everybody informed. I like, I do agree with you. I like this opening that we get to finally see. Okay. So this is where the civilian is, the civilian population is getting their viewpoints. Yep. And this is a, it's not subtle, but it really foreshadows the episode in that these pundits are essentially arguing over Roslyn. Essentially, is she a sinner or a saint? And it depends on your position and what you think. And, and uh, you know, Playa is pro, uh, the other guy's anti. And it this is setting us up for what is going to be the conflict of this episode, this political tug of war, as it were. Yes, indeed. And they're so contentious about it. It's crazy how hardline. And this, this is, I'll admit, from the beginning of this episode here, I was already kind of be feeling defensive of Rosalind. I was like, how the fuck are you guys going to dump all this on her, try to treat her like shit? I'm like, she just inherited the worst crisis of, <laughs> of the human species. Right. Jesus. We then move over to, uh, you know, we see a man against this voiceover, the 52nd anniversary of this and blah, blah, blah. And Laura Rosalind should be applauded. All that's going on. Well, uh, a man, as we will later know as Valance, I believe, is yes, assembling yes. a firearm and meeting. Uh, and, and meanwhile, we have uh, Wally meeting with Rosalind. So it's at this point where I was very excited. I liked the political thriller aspect of this. This oh, was yeah. very um, Tom Clancy to me. Ooh, true. Yeah, it had that feel like we got politics shaking up in a weird way and we don't know what's going to happen. We got a guy assembling a rifle. Uh, things are intensifying. The argument is as the as the firearm is brought to completion. Meanwhile, you have Rosalind getting mad in her quarters. Uh, you know she's mad and makes uh, scoffs at freedom of the press. You know, she's pissed. <laughs> Throw about, my pen at this. Yeah, she's pissed about the way they're talking, and uh, and that's when Wally comes in, and uh, th- that's that we know why he's there, right? She she wants. Uh, well, we we don't really know because we don't know yet. Because Billy yeah. bursts in, turns it up, she's pissed off, and then what What the hook is here is, is that we're learning that Zarek has been nominated by Sagittarion. Sagittarion. This is also the first episode I realized the 12 colonies are the 12, like, astrological signs. <laughs> I did not 
notice that until now. I was like, oh, yeah, Caprica, Sagittarius, Gemini. Okay, cool. I gotcha. I did mm-hmm. not realize that till here. Ah. I've, I I I've, I've been sitting on that information for a long time. <laughs> and I've waited for you to come to that conclusion. Well, we and, never hear too many other colony names until no, here. And it's like, no. oh, okay. Yeah. Well, why don't we why don't we have a quick aside here and, and tell me if you think that that's what do you think that means in this in this show, if anything? Okay, well, since I'm not a white girl who buys crystals in Portland, I don't know that much about fucking <laughs> astrological signs. All right, fair um, enough. But I don't know. I do. It does. It what it makes me do though. It makes me want to fucking research them and be like, do, you know, I want to research Sagittarius, and it's like, is that some? Does that mean something for the the rebellious colony that's been oppressed? Is that are we supposed to take some meaning from that? I can't imagine it's accidental. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's I think it's fascinating with. You know, you got you got twelve astrological signs, and you, we know that they're all planets, right? Caprica yeah. or Capricorn, right? It, yeah, and I guess Rosalind was from Caprica, right? She was a Capricornian. She was. Yeah. Okay. Yep. I was As is that. Gaius. Ah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. As is Starbuck, I believe. I don't remember. I don't remember where everybody's from. But yeah, there's um, not everybody's from everywhere, but they're out there. So Tom Zark is nominated, much to Rosalind's chagrin. And uh, immediately Adama calls. He's like, yeah, I, lo- <laughs> this ain't I love happen. as soon as they're getting a call, they're all just like, okay, I'm sure this is Commander Adama right now. Are you listening yep. to this? What do you think of what he what do you think of his take on it? It's it's interesting how it's interesting how this plays out, their perspectives here, I thought. Oh, I loved it. And you know, again, I come very firmly down on the side of uh Rosalind here. Like I totally get. I mean, this is the response I would have expected. Is I have the same you know, it speaks to the how well they've established these characters. We have the same reaction as an audience that they do to understanding he's on the phone. It's like, okay, Adama's not going to fucking like this. We all know that he is not a fan of Zarek. He is not a fan of the possibility of danger or disorder. You know, it's already mm-hmm. a horrible crisis they're in. Why do we need another violent, possibly, you know, chaotic element thrown in with, you know, having giving somebody like uh, Zarek a bully pulpit to fucking be chaotic? That's right. That's definitely how Adama sees it. But I really love the line from Rosalind where she says, I, we can't have you coming in as the military and quelling this or banning him or keeping him out because you cannot appear to be my personal goon squad because yep. that will make things, you know, that would make them look like, uh, you know, they're her or Gestapo. And that would be the worst public image for the government at this time where, because I think the most important thing that the, the opening on the media reveals is that her, it's not her leadership. It's not the choices she's made uh, as a leader that are so much in question. I mean, they are, but it's her sitting in that office at all that yeah. some people are still questioning the legitimacy and, you know, the legit, you know, the legitimacy of the government's existence is kind of up in the air right now. And I think Rosalind is very right in thinking we can't have anybody thinking to question that any further. Like regardless of whether they like me or agree with me or not, we can't have them thinking I'm a fucking fascist <laughs> using the military for my personal illegal means. Like that would just be the worst. So I I come down with her on this that you have to let this play out and you you have to turn the public against him as much as maybe, you know, if, if Zarek really is a bad guy, we have to make the public understand that as well. We can't just crush him out. Yeah, and she doesn't want him to become some kind of martyr. Exactly. Yeah. It's complicated because in, in Adama's view, this guy's an enemy of the state. I mean, he Oh yeah. He's a murderer. He he blew up a building with with people in it. That's and this is what it comes down to 
there's always been this great divide on this guy. Mm-hmm. And that's, did he do this? Did he not? Were there people in that building? Weren't there? Is it ever expressly clear? People call him a butcher. Uh, if you ask Duwala, she's going to call him a butcher. Billy's going to say he was fighting to, to help get people rights who are being oppressed. And it really comes down to this. Adam has made it pretty clear how he feels about the guy. And unfortunately, when you made a deal with him way back in episode three or four, that yeah. deal was, is if you do this, you guys are going to earn points for freedom. Apparently, he's out because he's wearing a suit, and now he's becoming an elected official. So whatever deal you guys made to get Zarek out for him to, quote, serve his time, he apparently has done. And now, by popular demand, he's been elected as Sagittarius delegate to the Quorum of Twelve. So this is something that you've created yourself when you made the deal that you made, and uh, you have to kind of live with it. And number one, that's, that's the ethical thing you find yourself in. And then strategically yeah. speaking, you have to do, you, be, you have to be a smart politician about it. And that's, I think, what Rosalind's doing. And I do appreciate her in this. And uh, it's funny, we started this, me talking about guys, you talking about Rosalind. But it's cool to think, again, I, I'm looking forward to exploring the cool stuff that Rosalind does. This is the, one of the first cool things she does in this episode is this right here. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Immediately, Zarek jumps on the airways. He starts to discuss space white man privilege. And that whole thing, he's talking about, you know, there's going to be a a new era is going to dawn and various other things that the uh, voice of the downtrodden say. They all say the same thing. Zarek is no different. And that brings us to our opening credits. And we go right over to Starbuck visiting Gaius, where Gaius learns that he has, in fact, been elected as Caprica's delegate to the Quorum of Twelve. And uh, I like this scene. Uh, what do you think about this interaction between these two? I, I do like it. I, I, I f- can never tell whether Gaius is more attracted to or intimidated by Starbuck. I feel like it's a pretty tenuous balance, but I like this Could whole— Could be both, right? It's got to be a, t- a smidge of both. But, uh, but she definitely loves – I can imagine her getting told that she needs to go tell Gaius this and being like, oh, absolutely. I can't wait. <laughs> like I want to go smear his face in this because it's going to fuck with him. And she loves fucking with Gaius. Yeah, she loves fucking with people. That <laughs> Starbuck <laughs> is, is awesome because she shows up and she is doesn't just say, hey, you've been elected. I'm going to be your security detention. She, she does say, hey, I'm going to be handling security. We're going to be traveling together. She's very vague. She laughs because he hasn't heard yet, uh, you know, and that's when he learns that you're the now the delegate. And he's like, oh, God, this is so boring. I don't want to do this. This is worse than blood samples. She says, you must have gotten the super genius vote. <laughs> right. That was cute. I love that. that and good. Six is like, well, there's going to be pretty young women in, in power around politics. And this gets Gaius's interest. Oh, yeah. Awesome. That's what I love about Gaius. Like, this is... Gaius can be so flippant and so carefree about certain things but when you tap the part of his brain that wants the things that Gaius wants, when you tap his ego, you can, oh, yeah. you can influence him easily, which is great. Of course, we don't know much about how he feels about power. He hasn't really shown that other than he keeps secrets, which is definitely an indication that you're trying to amass some sort of power by secrecy, right? True. Because you, you, when you keep secrets, you're either trying to protect somebody or you're trying to use that information to, to be above somebody. You're trying to use it in, a, in this weird primal struggle by knowing something they don't about them or whatever. You, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It's, it's often think, a power like, thing. I feel like a funny thing about Gaius, and I, I could be totally wrong about this. This could be me not reading him right. But I also feel like he's somebody who wants to – he is somebody who wouldn't 
unless he's prodded, uh, go too hard for power, I feel like he strives for like comfort. Like he just oh, wants yes. to like not be bothered. Like or if he can, if he can be given that mansion that he lives in in his mind with six for real and nobody bothers anymore, he would just happily sit there and be guys. Like yeah. I don't even. It's funny because he's a super genius, but I can't even imagine him like hard charging trying to go out there and like cure diseases i could just see him being like ah, i've got money now like fuck it like it just right. kind of seems like he wants to just be unbothered yeah i think when you get to his level of fame and power that you're just chasing the next high and he finds that in women you know i mean hmm. he got gaius is is a funny character because the way you describe him as somebody who is interested primarily in comfort essentially means he's he he wants to be left to his own devices and he does not want to be have that stuff threatened and guys is funny because he's a man who has achieved uh, so much and he, and he seems to have achieved it without much effort because of his gift of being brilliant at whatever it is he is brilliant at this science his doctor this we knew he was a politician we knew he was powerful we knew he was powerful enough to have the access he did which is how the silence exploited him and he's yeah. egotistical and he doesn't think much. And when you're a guy that does this, if you're not, if science is not what you're actually pursuing, if science is something that comes easy to you and you already have all the accoutrements of life, what are you going to chase? Whatever advice you have, he happens to be ass, right? <laughs> and that's, much. that's what he wants to go after. And that's what he goes after. And, you know, I think you're right. I think if, I, I think, I think guys is the kind of guy who power becomes something he's interested in when he's either prodded to go after it because he is afraid of somebody like Six or <laughs> he is trying to... Some people acquire power, and this is something I used to talk to my friends about. Uh, once upon a time, I worked for a corporation and uh, I just kept advancing in that corporation, not because I was making any attempt to control people, because I was trying to make the number of people who could control me less. Yeah, gotcha. And I think, and I think that's something guys might do, especially in this situation where yeah. the stakes are so high. I mean, the stakes are really high in this. In my in my life, in my old life, my old company I worked for, the stakes weren't high. It was just your job and, and your ethics and shit, and it wasn't like your very survival. But for me, it was the more the more I achieve here, the less people tell me what to do on any given day. Um, but for me personally, as I, let me close up my anecdote it got to a point where it's like, I don't want to, and I'm not saying you have to, but I found myself personally getting to a point where I was, I didn't want to compromise myself ethically anymore. And I, and then I, <laughs> then you run into a standstill and you're like, you know what? I can't do this. And that, that it was the moment that Dean and Gaius diverged. <laughs> That's right. That's where him and I diverged 100%. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, uh, no, I, that, I like that because- super genius stuff and all that crap. I'm not a super genius. Uh, but, um, but I love chasing some ass. <laughs> um, well, not anymore. Well, I probably still would, but I, I'm not allowed. You know how that goes. That <laughs> <laughs> old fucking bowl and chain rattling around. and chain over here. Uh, no, but, but no, um, I, I totally like that, that analogy because I think that's exactly, you know, Gaius's climb to power is not to, I want to be able to control and take over things. It's that I want just the fewer amount of people to come and bother my life and have say over what I have to do next is, is the, the better. Like I just, yep. whatever it takes, whatever I have to do to be left alone. Right. hundred percent. Gaius has never shown that he's overly ambitious. No. He's easily bored. He wants to entertain himself. 
But again, this is a very small world and he's a super genius and he's in the spotlight and people know who he is and he's unwittingly elected. I mean, that Neil is deGrasse, wild. Neil deGrasse Baltar. Right? Yeah, that's a great way to put it, actually. Imagine <laughs> that. You just get a knock. There's 47,000 people. If he has no political ambition and he gets voted in, A, that shows you how dumb voters are. B, <laughs> <laughs> B it just shows you how valuable he is to the public. Yeah. Which is yeah. wild to think about. I mean, one of the, and we're jumping ahead, but one of the main, maybe the keyword of um, Roslyn's conversation with Gaius about having him, you know, be the vice president is saying, I need your popularity. Like yeah, that's, a, that you know, she says a couple other amazing. things, but that's the highlight. Yeah. And, and I want to talk, yeah, hang on to that. We definitely got to address that. That is amazing. Oh, yeah. So oh, back yeah. on cloud nine, Starbuck and Lee enjoy some fake sun and they discuss security and how it will be a bitch to account for these 500 people. Lee explains to her that there will be a lot of unrest outside of the possibility of Cylon. So I like that because here we have Starbuck, and, and this is something we've we've seen before in this show, and that is Lee is politically savvy and Starbuck is not. Yeah. No, she is very much the unpolitical warrior. Like right. she is not involved in the the machinations that go into all of the why. She just jumps into the how. And I, I can see lee becoming more like his father like a, a commander position who does have to think about these things because he leans toward them yeah yeah we definitely see his his concern is that it's it's the it's it's unrest outside because she's thinking cylons could be anybody we're going to do she's thinking of that approach lee's thinking yeah it ain't just the cylons Kara. that's the crazy thing and then they get cute with the hose they have a little bit of they blow off some steam doing their thing and we've seen this behavior from them before oh, just I know it- fuck you too come on <laughs> Come on, just fucking get in the sack. Now I know, I know that this bothered you before. In in maybe one of the most aggravating things to you in the show so far was mm. is when was when, when they were painting the helmet. They're and painting doing all the that helmet, yeah. Celebration stuff. I. It's funny because I actually really like this scene. I like when they are out because for one, it was believable to me because they were by themselves. They're on assignment. Uh, they weren't in a locker room or, you know, getting ready to go out to a whole bunch of pilots and stuff. It's just those two. And it makes for me a little more believable that this is a moment where they understand just the two of them and they can, you know, have their own relationship for a second here and talk a little bit as friends and behave like friends. So I kind of liked it. I liked that they got to play around a little bit. I liked it too. And I think, it, and I think I, I do, I really like it. I think I think we see a playful side of Kara Thrace. I think this really fits her character, to be honest with you. Me too. Uh, there's yeah. a mischief in her smile and in her eyes. And oh, I yeah. think that is uh, that plays out here. Uh, and I think that's something that's just done really well. And I think Katie Sackhoff sells this. I don't know anything about Katie Sackhoff, but I wonder if, if this is part of her personality here too. This is because it's, it's so natural feeling to me. I it is. It. It's yeah. good. I love it. We see a man going through a security checkpoint, and we have a Ooh. kind of a quick succession of scenes here. We'll get a, the voiceover by Playa, who wonders if Rosalind will snub Zarek or shake his hand. It's it's bullshit politicking. Uh, they're, they're talking about shit that doesn't fucking matter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, see, that's the funny thing. <laughs> I love how much, and it, it's so true. It is not in just in the confines of the show. It totally goes into the real world of like 100%. how much we care about uh symbols and and figureheads of state it doesn't really yes the president has a lot of power and heads of state have you know commands they can issue and things they can do but a lot of times uh, people will fucking analyze for days how much eye contact they made or if they shook hands whatever and it's like well when you think about it those are still just two individuals what does it matter 
what they individually think of one another or what they behave like interpersonally. It matters what kind of fucking decisions they're making, what kind of legislation they're passing, but it's still the absolute talk of the town. And that's one of those things that's that divide between Rosalind and Adama, where Adama's like, who gives a shit? Like, I don't do that. That doesn't matter. But Rosalind's like, no, it does fucking matter. The people get pissed about it. You got to think sure. about these things. Sure. But it's so, it's so silly. It's a great point. A man calls uh, Zarek a murderer. Another man jumps in. Lee jumps in, breaks this guy's balls, tells him not to touch anyone else or he will end up in the brig. Um, we're going to come back to this, but Zarek tries to shake Ty's hand. That doesn't go over well. Tom shakes Ellen's hand. She, of course, flirts. That pisses off Ty. Oh, yeah. He oh, yeah, but he simmers should know with to anger. That by now. Right. She explains <laughs> that she wants her picture taken. She patronizes him because he doesn't want his picture taken, meaning Ty. And then, uh, and that Rosalind's the past and Zarek's the future. I thought that was an interesting note. Uh, oh, then, that's, yeah, hugely indicative. And this is the first time I ever thought, wow, Ellen actually has some kind of ambition or mm. some kind of. You know, she even jokes later in the episode, oh, all my agenda is just me, myself, and I. <laughs> but, like, that's bullshit. She definitely is politically involved, even if it's well, not. Well, I think, I think what she meant by that is is that I, I kind of feel like she was outing herself and outing him at the same time by saying, don't pretend this is for anybody other than you. Mm-hmm. That was kind of my takeaway. Like, I, I, I agree. I, yeah, I don't know. But you think you... I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that I think it is selfish, but I think it's, but you're saying it's beyond just, I want to look cool in the newspapers. You're thinking it goes up, up deeper. Well, or, yeah. Or just at least that, you know, I think it's easy to believe in the episode that she's introduced that, that well, this is just a crazy cokehead wild ass bitch sure. and like has no, you know, she's just a party girl who's aged <laughs> and that's, and that's all she is. But I think there's definitely yep. a little more Machiavellianism there than we would at first think. And I, this I, is the episode yeah. where you really like, oh, sh- there is a little more there. Pretty cool. Yeah, good stuff. Um, you know, uh, Zarek offers his hand to Rosalind. It's tense. Of course, she shakes it and smiles. She's not going to be stupid here. And that's when <laughs> yeah. Zarek reminds Rosalind that they are not enemies. So we set this stuff up. This is just, you know, some tensions start to build here. We're putting some people together. We're seeing what happens. Again, not much, but we see the politicking going on here. We oh, see yeah. the people being reflected in their opinions. And we can't really go over, we can't, we can't glaze that over because it's important to note that these people are very tense about their feelings about Rosalind and their feelings about Zarek. Yeah. They're very at each other's throats, literally. Oh, yeah. No, it is, it is tense. It is uncomfortable all around, for sure. And it escalates. So we get a quorum of 12 meeting. Guy sleeps. Well, I fucking love this. This is why I love him. <laughs> yeah, this is why I, I love you. him. I, when I was watching this, I was like, Dean's fucking rooting for him right now. Oh, my God. I just love that he gives zero fucks. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't care. It's all boring <laughs> drivel to him. And he doesn't. he's not fake about it. Like, you, you would think, it, guy, this is where Gaius is surprisingly interesting to me. I know it sounds dumb. But the fact that he's laying on that podium, you would expect, like if I asked you four episodes ago, who he gets put in this position, what is he going to do? The last thing in your mind would have been sleep. You probably would have been like, he's going to try to smooth talk. He's blah, 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 blah. He's guys, right? That's what he's going to do. And just, that's what I would do. But this just shows another depth to his character, which is how things that bore him, he's totally uninterested in. They have to intrigue him on some level for him to want to participate. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And he is so unengaged. (laughs) Yep. Until Six tells him that Playa isn't wearing any underwear. 
she's fucking Sharon stoning him over there. Yeah. Beaver shot. <laughs> and uh, she says, you know, she's been eyeing all afternoon. Gaius asks if Six is jealous. And she just says, love isn't about sex, Gaius. <laughs> you can have anyone you want, but I have your hearts. And, and I can he's, rip it out of your chest if I have to. <laughs> right. Which she says with a bit of emotion because he's being flippant with her. And she says, I just, you can tell it's annoying. Like it hurts her a little bit. Like, or I'll oh, fucking, yeah. we've Definitely. seen this before, this behavior before from Six. Yeah. And at the, earlier in the episode, even, we see a little flash of jealousy from her after, you know, uh, Starbuck leaves the room from talking to him and she's a little bit, you know, worked up. And the way she says it in the scene is she's like, I've been thinking. Like, it's like mm. from that scene where she's already like, you know, he's always chasing skirt. He's always out there. I get that's how he is. And, you know, his response too is funny because he's like, well, I find that a surprisingly enlightened opinion <laughs> from you. You know, oh, religious robot woman you are. Um, yeah, awesome. But I like this. I do like this this kind of evolution of their relationship. So back to the politics here, we have Zarek objecting to Rosalind's agenda. Gen, you know, Rosalind saying, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And that's when Zarek says, listen, none of this matters if something terrible were to happen to you. God for, God's forbid. We have no successor. And that's when he moves that they need a VP. And then out of nowhere, Gaius seconds this. And boy, does Rosalind shoot him a look. Oh my God, this daggers. Is, that's what I love about this. This is Gaius to a T. He's totally uninterested. And then all of a sudden, he supports something nobody in the room thought he even heard. Oh, well, but, and it's totally at Six's prodding. It's yes. not like he just raises it. She, she says, second it. And he's like, huh? And she goes, second it, and grabs his hand and pulls it up. And everybody already starts looking at him. So he's like, second. Yeah, I saw. yeah I'm right, not just right. raising my hand for no reason like a crazy person. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> right. And of course, the eyes have it. And Tom Zarek is getting a nomination, which means now they have procedures which will readjourn in 72 hours to determine who the next vice president will be. So Zarek gets exactly what he wanted, which was great. And we cut right over to Rosalind complaining later. She thinks back on the people she's denied. You know, she when Geminon second, she's like, yeah, they asked for something. I told them no. And this is where you start to learn that. Something that might seem, and what I like about this is we never actually see this happen in the TV show, which I think highlights why it's effective in this episode because it's not, it shows you how routinely she probably just denied them a supply and how something so little that we don't even see on camera can come back and fucking cause somebody to vote against her in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. I like that a lot because that happens a lot in, in life. You know, it's, if you've ever been in a position where you're in charge of people, if you've ever had, as to return to my anecdote, if you've ever had people that report to you, it's, it's weird. You know, you can find out a month later that maybe you weren't in a great mood one day and one of your 20 people said something to you and you were sort of flippant with them and they took it very personally and you find out a month later like holy shit i didn't realize this affected them so much i didn't i didn't even i barely said anything you know it's yeah. this this is fucking crazy that's on a very small scale that i've had happen to me personally and this is imagine something like this like something that seems like nothing causes gemini to stand up and say i <laughs> she's like damn it and i like seeing rosalind pace and, and think about that as in this little quick look in and that's when she says, listen, we need a candidate and they're going to lean on Wally. And uh, he is not interested, calls, says he's not interested in this kind of politics. And she's like, look, essentially, I need you to, to beat Zarek. And she really pressures him and he accepts. So poor Wally, phase one of the Wally getting used by his friend here, your trivia question. All right, let's move over to the cloud nine. 
where uh, Playa drills Zarek. Hi, how will he reassure people that his move by him isn't for his own gain, but rather for the people? He says that uh, they not only need new leadership, but rather a new way of thinking. And he starts to go on and on about commerce, about how this groundskeeper, this man here, he works, but for what? What is it for? Businessmen still do business, but there's no business to be done. In other words, he's saying that there is no economy, there is no commerce. And he says until they have that, they can't really move forward. They have to change their whole way of thinking. Instead of thinking about all these immediate things, they have to think of how they're going to proceed with society, essentially. And uh, I like that. I think this is, uh, this is you know, it's, it's obviously, there's a time and a place. It's probably not, you probably can't really think about that at this point. How, to, how will you have commerce? What, what, will, you, what will one produce? How can, what, what kind of production can there possibly be um, when you're on ships? And I, it's, it's funny because I do find myself agreeing with him in the sense of like, yeah, of course, obviously people need to have benefits and a reason to do this. And an economy needs to exist I mean, in the, uh, the fleet, I guess, at this point to, you know, to, f- to keep going, to make a point to existence in a way, I think that's kind of what he's he's getting at. Is that like why are sure. we even bothering? We we haven't even we haven't started again. Really, we're we're still just kind of in the midst of running. But I do really like later on uh, what Gaius says in retort, which is funny because he says it so flippantly, and we know that he doesn't really care that much. But he does make a good point when he's talking about. He's like, well, what you know uh, that Zarek is so quick to criticize Rosalind, but what responsibilities he ever had to shoulder? He's he was a revolutionary who blew up a building and then got arrested and has been in jail for twenty years. Right. It's pretty easy <laughs> right. to to criticize the actual real world world situation of somebody who's shouldering the burden and and actually trying to grapple with the the crisis. Absolutely, it's so easy to stand on the outside and go, "Well, you're doing a shitty job of it." And it's like, well. Yeah, especially when you've been in the can 20 years. Yeah, it's like, what have you had to do, man? Eat shitty prison food. That's it. Right, right. Read books. <laughs> so let's talk about this brawl with Lee having a drink, getting himself into a brawl. The chaos causes this would-be assassin to be revealed. Um, <clears throat> so here's something I'm, I'm not sure about, and maybe you can help me remember because my my opinion of this is a little corrupted by time and yours being a little more fresh than mine, it might be easier for you to see what I'm getting at here. But I thought about this this time. One of the things that Lee has shown us is, is that he comes down hard on the pro Zarek guy earlier. Yeah. Which is funny because I don't want to call Lee pro Zarek, but he's the guy that negotiated on his behalf. He did. That's true. And then later, he's getting into a brawl over Tom Zarek with this guy. It's it's weird. It's almost like Lee has forgotten how he kind of stood up for Zarek's rights, and now he's getting pissed off because this guy in a bar. It's it's funny because the guy, this mustachioed guy, is has douche douche written all over his face. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But for the fact that he wants to hear Zarek, who is an elected official, and Lee butts in with his officious bullshit, and he's like, "Turn it off." I kind of understand why the guy is pissed off. Yeah. Obviously, the guy is just looking for a fight at this point. Mm-hmm. He, he's looking to get into some shit here, obviously, because he's being a dick as well. But what, what, what do you think about that? Do you know what I'm getting at I do, at here? and I, I feel like, for one, it, I, <laughs> let's put it this way. It's either one, good writing, and we're seeing that I think Lee kind of regrets how much he kind of assisted with Zarek like and is maybe feeling a little more uneasy about his past decision now and trying to kind of maybe he feels like he's uh, undermined Rosna a little bit with that, that now it's coming back to bite them and he's trying to gain power again and 
maybe he's a little he is feeling mixed about it and is a little more upset and kind of taking it out here. Or number two, it's kind of sloppy writing and they just wanted a conflict for the episode and they forgot that Lee would wouldn't maybe not be so rash in this way. Yeah, what do you do you think it's either way or I what do you have a do you have a sneaking suspicion? I I lean more toward um the first that that he is just feeling more conflicted about it now that he's that I I think that in that episode where he negotiated with Zarek and they came to this kind of conclusion that he thought Zarek would be happy to remain um kind of an external gadfly who who does still put pressure on them and is a voice for a certain pe- for people in a way, but not becoming a politician and and really aspiring for power. And I think he's worried about what that's going to mean for Rosalind. And I think that has upset him a little bit. But I do agree. I think it's kind of you know the last time we saw them interacting or even thought about Zarek, it was with him helping Zarek essentially, like mediating the situation so that Zarek could come sure. out on a good end. And then now we have him getting into a brawl over somebody who likes Zarek. Like it is a weird, it's, it's a hard turn. Yeah. It's weird because it, it is a weird turn because he fought for this guy's right to be treated in a way that is legal. I mean, he, he has a whole episode where he challenges the president and his father, the commander of the fleet to give this guy an opportunity to speak, to give this guy an opportunity to, you know, if, if we're not following the laws, then what the fuck is this? This is a bunch of bullshit. Yeah. You know, I, I almost feel like it made have, it would have made more sense for Starbuck to get pissed off because she was a, a hair away from blowing him away. Yeah. She, she had a fucking gun on Zarek's head. She had him dead to rights and then it got called off and it, and I know, and I know a second ago I said she's less political, so I'm kind of contradicting myself. But I wonder if it would have made more sense if that was the case, or maybe if somebody else was down there. Or, but this uh, this was something that if it is him being regretful over the shit he did, they don't make it clear. That's us really giving them the benef- benefit. Exactly. Of the doubt. Yeah. Like it's his behavior that I go, oh, that seems like it's a plausible explanation for it. But there's never I they they could have fixed this with a little. Uh, a, a smidge of dialogue that's like, yeah, well, I made that deal with Zarek. I didn't think he was still going to come back like this to bother us or something like that. Or like, you know, that he that he explicitly, it shows that he was bothered that Zarek is rearing his head in this way. Yeah, it was a little weird, I thought. Um, and, and it kind of caught my eye this time around. But maybe it's just, maybe it has something to do with Lee's arc. Maybe Lee's trying to become more responsible. He's mended fences with his father you know, that this is all coming on the heels of this. He just had this hand of God thing where he's the big hero and he's, you know, he's all fucking, he's balls deep back into the military again. <laughs> maybe that's it. Maybe, maybe, maybe that's what it, what it is. But it's unfortunate that he, his feelings for Zarek are, are not, they don't come back from that interaction on, on the Astral Queen. I wish they would have. Yeah. Because they because it's almost like he's adversarial with him out of nowhere. Yeah, and the only well, I, I'm, I could be wrong about this, but I only remember him interacting in this episode with Zarek one time briefly, and he's pretty adversarial. Like he's coming up and kind of threatening him. Yeah, when when the, he's in the corner yeah. and he says, "We got your man Valance or something." Yeah, next we're getting you. Yeah, yeah, I think he says, "We got Valance and you're next," something like that. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, and he's getting into fights and shit with with people. Like that's ugly, man. You can't like. What is that going to say? Well, how is that going to help this situation with the fleet when you have these military guys getting into fucking hand-to-hand fisticuffs with these other guys? And they brush past what could be 
damaging for Roslyn. Like, this is something I feel like if you want to get make a political thriller, you're getting into fights with people out here. And yeah, the guy was a dick, and yes, the guy made the first move, but, you know, some people are going to recall it one way, some people are going to recall it another way, and it just kind of gets brushed over because Valance's pistol is discovered here. Yeah. Oh, yeah. His, his alleged pistol. <laughs> but it's true. Yeah, no, like he is still, it, that's the side of Lee that's like, you are not ready to be a statesman or a, a, a full sure. leader at all yet he has he has the kind of like raw instinct for it but he's so ready just to throw punches it doesn't really matter yeah it's a little funky for sure but uh back on Caprica and Bummer survey Delphi and of course the Telmont building uh they're gonna wait until dark infiltrate that bad boy so they say we know this will never happen <laughs> uh, and then Hilo starts to try to make sense of this and this is good instincts by Hilo he says the two women look the same. It's impossible that they would be twins. That's just too weird. And why would they help the Cylons? Yeah. Maybe they're cloning people. Maybe they're messing with DNA. It would explain how they took us by surprise. I love and it. And then Boomer says, but maybe if they are clones, they're misguided and indoctrinated. Oh, I love this. Really, really awesome. love this. Uh, and then Hila says, no human could do that. They have to be Cylons. Oh, damn. He concludes that they're Cylons based on the fact that he has so much faith in humanity. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And it's in a way, it's still a bit of a jump here. That It's like, that could be an unfair conclusion. He doesn't know, I mean, none of us know the the actual nature of these Cylons that look like human beings. It's a perfectly sure. good speculation, but you can see, I love seeing how, while he's coming and thinking about these, the coming to these reasons and thinking about how it works, we can see how tortured her face is. That sure. she is like hating how, regardless of how accurate he is, she's hating how much he's already decided that. Well, they must just be abominations. Right. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, it's and I do think it goes to my theory, to my belief that she has truly, truly, truly gone rogue. That this is not part of the Cylon conspiracy. That she is not acting in this way, in their plans. It's awesome. I like that part of this a lot. Yeah. And uh, we move over to Starbuck and Lee. Starbuck, back in the interrogation room, huh? Oh, boy, she's loving this. This is going to be her new <laughs> pastime. It's just f- fucking waterboarding dudes and renditions. <laughs> False bottom briefcase, ceramic stealth gun, balance says he doesn't know his What are you, fucking John Starbuck Malkovich says, in a line of fire? Huh? With your yeah, fucking plastic nice. gun over here? Starbuck tells him that Grimes gave him up. Valance says they're bluffing. Starbuck and Lee threaten death, essentially. No due process. We're here. You're not going to court. We're going to kill you right now. This total, it's funny. And, uh, in this scene, and especially as the audience watching this happen, I totally get this. I'm like, you guys are bluffing so hard. Neither of these oh, people. Sure. Are, it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to be your executioner. It's like, come on. You are not. You are right. not those people. Right. Right. You don't, you don't ever get the impression that this guy ever thought that that was the case. Uh, Valen says he just came here for the booze and food. And, of course, Lee flips out. Frack you! <laughs> and he never – it's funny. He never lets up. We never get to hear Valence's take, the real take on why he was there or what – he never cracks no. and says, well, actually. Like he – and it's so weird. I, I don't know what the fuck to think of this guy. He is so sweaty well, and so nervous that I almost believe that he doesn't know why he has the gun. But he must have yeah, – but we see him putting it in there. Right. And we know that Valence is connected to Zarek because of the way Zarek reacts. Oh, yeah. For sure. 
but this guy's just good. That's how good he is. He doesn't crack. They can't do anything to crack him. And uh, ultimately, it's what keeps Zarek safe in the end of this. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll definitely come back to that. So Lee reports to Rosalind. He says, uh, they can't, they, he, we can't connect Zarek and this guy. And she says, keep trying. In other words, interrogate Put the guy. fucking screw. <laughs> and Rosalind and it takes off her glasses and says, put the boots to him. Put the boots to him. <laughs> Take his teeth out. Give him the old, give him the old fucking Syriana treatment. Get the pliers. Bring, bring out two, bring out two lengths of chain and a tire iron. We're gonna get to work on this guy. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, Lee advises that all the Sagittarians delegates get sent back to the ships, and she says, "Nope, we can't do that. That violates their civil rights." And then in the same sentence, she says, "Let's bug everything." <laughs> I know. Yes, this was incredible because I was like. Again, kind of admiring her her statesmanly way of being like, no, we we have to let this play out. We have to let it be what it is. But then she just full blown, let's fucking absolutely Patriot Act this shit though. Like, let's bug everything. Uh-huh. We're gonna gather it all. Well, what I like about this is is that we see Rosalind. The things that she doesn't want happening are all things that can come back on her pop politically. Right? If if Adama strong arms. Zarek, it becomes you're the goon squad. It's it's out there. It's in people's faces. It cannot be hidden. Yeah. If right, if we if we do this weird thing and we tell all the Sagittarians people to go back to their ships because we're trying to whatever, there that's going to be a, a thing. That's going to be in the goddamn newspapers. Yeah. So, but surveillance. So we see it's underhanded. This is underhanded stuff from her, which I appreciate. I like that we see the side of Rosalind because. In the same sentence, she doesn't want to violate civil rights. She talks about putting surveillance everywhere, which is completely and utterly uh, hypocritical. Oh, yeah. But that's okay, because that's what's interesting about a human character that has flaws. And uh, it was was just cool. I like that a lot. Yeah. No, I definitely enjoyed that. And I I like that, you know, it it comes up later in the episode when Wally's talking to her, but... He's saying, you know, I wasn't sure if somebody like you could survive in the actual political arena. You had a more comfy, cushy, you know, position as the secretary of education that wasn't really, you know, you're not. (laughs) I can imagine this probably applies for the real world secretary of education that they're not fucking cutting throats in back rooms, you know, having to duke it out. You know, that's not one of those high pressure positions. But damn, has she learned enough over the years and observed enough to uh, to have some some wiliness to her? Yeah, absolutely. Wally speaks, and uh, and Rosalind and Billy are sort of whispering in the foreground there. And essentially, what they're saying as Wally speaks, which he's not very good at, is is that his influence is slipping. He's starting to lose ground to Zarek. And uh, Lee says, "You know, I mean, not Lee, but Billy and her. Like this is not good." And that's when, of course, Lee whispers to Zarek, tries to throw him off his game a little bit, but it doesn't work. No, yeah, he is unfazed. So this is the beginning of the part of, of Rosalind where she starts to realize Wally's just not going to work out and she's not sure what to do. Yeah. and that, it, But don't worry. It's, she's going to figure it out. It's important here too because Wally – and I, correct me if I'm wrong here. We haven't actually seen Wally before this episode, right? This is I, – I, I feel like maybe we did once before. Yeah. He has not – I mean maybe he's but been I talked about. Be the name might have been thrown around, but I, I don't remember seeing him. He may have been, but he's not – up until this point, he has not been a major player. Like, we haven't seen a lot of, of our boy, Wally. Um, but what we see here is, like, the death of the practical. Like, Wally is, as far as we can tell, a good guy and a, and a a decent person, a rational person, probably pretty intelligent, pretty competent. But he doesn't have 
the flair and the public opinion that Zarek does. He can't compete with that. Like he, to, he is almost like the very competent, just boring bureaucrat who sits behind a desk and nobody gives a shit. Like Zarek has the, whether you love him or hate him, he has this big flair around him. And that, and I think Rosalind is adept enough to understand that that's what's lacking here. And we can't, there's nothing we can do to give Wally that. And that is what pushes her towards somebody like Gaius. Yeah, unfortunately, and, and I, I'm speculating on Wally a lot here, but Wally, he, Wally is essentially just an unremarkable person. Yeah, exactly. Meaning he's not good or bad. He simply is just a unremarkable individual. I file the papers away, uh, and I put on my suit, and I check my clock and get out the door. That's it. Uh, that's the old day of Wally. And I drive... And I drive my hybrid, and I, I get in my beige. Little, I get in my beige hybrid car. <laughs> my three white children <laughs> who go to an Ivy League school. Uh, Wallace Gray is one of President Rawlinson's senior advisors, so he's just an advisor. Yeah, he's part of the internal economy of the fleet. Uh, we're fairly. Let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm just looking at him without giving anything away. It appears that Colonial Day was his first introduction to the TV show. There we go. Yep. All righty. Yep. I believe that's the case based on a quick look here. Yeah. Fairly unremarkable. Anyway, later in a bar, Zarek and Ellen are chatting. Ooh, this is it. Talk, talk to me about this. This this is weird. This is an interesting little scene. And he, it's it's interesting to see Zarek's eye here that he, of all the people involved, of all the people he's going to single out and go out of his way to be one-on-one in a conversation with, it's her. She's the mm. one. She's like the weird wild card that he can sense that he can manipulate, that he can talk to, or maybe if not, maybe if not manipulate, get through to. So you think this is her targeting him? No, no, I, I, I think it's- I mean him targeting her. I think it's him targeting her and her being- pretty enthusiastically receptive because of her own agenda which is i fucking don't know <laughs> that's what i can't figure out she seems so underhanded in this scene in a way that i didn't expect if you'd asked me before this episode okay ellen what is she in anything for what is she after i'm like uh some young dick i think and i think that's pretty much it i mean we saw her interacting with lee in that scene at the dinner table and all that and i figured that's that would be her her thing that she would be lured away by different guys and she's just under underhanded and untrustworthy because she's an unfaithful wife. But that's mm-hmm. this scene. I don't know what her real motivation is, but it's definitely more than that. And this is the scene that made me realize that, that she has some kind of mistrust of her husband or lack of faith in him, or even thinks that he is like maybe bad for things that she wants to, I, I don't know. Like, the way she says certain things, the way her tone and intonation when she's like, my husband, like, it's like she's with him. I don't know why. It, it, there's just a whole, this whole scene has made me rethink her character and question her in a way that I did not expect, which is great. I mean, I, I, I it was a surprise I had did not see coming. Here's what we do know about the scene for sure. We know that Zarek and her have an interaction. We know that she asks him about Wallace Gray and if he's worried and he pretends to not care because if the people want Wallace Gray, then that's who they should have. And she calls him on his bullshit. She's like, stop. <laughs> you don't think, I don't believe that for a second. She says, everyone has an agenda in, in that her agenda is the same as your agenda, which is ourselves are our agenda essentially is what she's saying. That's what I took from it. Yeah. They clink glasses to this. In other words, he is, he admits as much when he, when they clink glasses, that's the subtext I got. Yeah. 
And then she says, I'm interested in the future, her and my, me and my husband's future. That's what I'm interested in. Now, now earlier she told her husband, Zarek's the future. Yeah. Right. That is true. Now she's talking to him. Now she's telling him, me and my husband, we want to secure our future. So we know that things can change on a dime, especially when you're only dealing 47,000 people, uh, not even a full stadium of people. Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. And there's only a few leaders among them. And I think Ellen is essentially saying that at this point, that's kind of what she's saying is I want to secure our future and the new future, essentially. And that's when Zarek, she, I, I think she gets to him in this because he admits to saying, I'm looking for my friend Valance, admitting as much that he's tied to the assassin. That is true. That is true. Right? I mean, he, he's been tight-lipped about it. The military can't pin it on him. Valance was interrogated. That didn't work. And we have this little clever conversation with Ellen Tai, who we learn is a bit manipulative, and it kind of works. It for sure works on, on Colonel Tai. And we have Zarek desperate, because he is worried that Valance may crack. That's what I took away from it. Mm. And that's when he says, I need to find my friend Valance. He's desperate here. Yeah. And she's almost offering her services in exchange for some sort of unknown favor in the future. That's the takeaway I have. Oh, that's true. And you know, it's totally making me <laughs> making me rethink one of the things I couldn't figure out. Oh boy, this fucking episode. Which is? The Death of Vance. The Death of Vance. Ah, we're getting there, sir. Oh, baby. That makes this a much more intriguing it episode. It fucking does. I'm on board. Mm-hmm. Oh, Frank Underwood, you wily bastard. How are you going to get out of this one? The house majority whip. <laughs> Um, later at a bar, Zarek, I just did that. Hard cut to Valance dead. Hard cut. I mean, hard cut. Yeah. Oh, we don't see how, but the thing is too, it very much looks like he was not attacked. It was like he was slipped a weapon and told that this is your, they pinned you. They got you. You might as well off yourself. Yeah. But what he is, I mean, is he so dedicated? Is he a professional assassin or is he a political idealist who would take the, take the noble way out? Or do you think he'd try to make a deal? I mean, what we don't know anything about Valance. Nothing. And we never will. Other than Zarek says, he refers to him as his friend, which could be dangerous, but he does it anyway. That's and then we hard cut to him being dead. Oof, oof, oof. Mm. It to me looks like a, a, a suicide. It doesn't look like somebody grabbed him and cut his wrists for him. It's like they slipped him a piece of glass. They slipped him whatever. I don't remember exactly what they yeah. said it was, but that he cut himself. Well, it's, apparent, it's apparently suicide. Yeah. And I believe that. I think it was whoever got that, whoever got the suicide weapon to him was also the one convinced him that you're fucked. There's no way out of this. Like they're going to pin you and it's, you're going to have to die in order to save Zarek. And I think that he must, I think Zarek does have that kind of devoted, irrational, like zealous following. Certain people might do that. I like it. Yeah. So a couple things to consider. Do you think it was Ellen that got him the weapon? And did the convincing? See, I never... Too risky for Zarek, right? Oh, God, yeah. He couldn't go near the guy. Um, And I I did not think about that at all while watching the episode. Only hearing you talk more about the scene here with her interaction with Zarek. I'm like, oh, shit, you're right. She's certainly... She's certainly involved. I don't know if she's the one who absolutely did it, but I could totally see her being the person who coordinated it, who figured out some way, you know, she has just enough influence being the wife of the XO to get somebody to do something. I don't know. I don't know. And, and you know what, in just enough anonymity to where people, where she could play it off, like she wandered in there by accident or she 
was going in there to get a look at him or, you know, she's a, she's an accomplished liar. I mean, that is, that much is clear. And, and I could see her wandering her way into Valance without raising too much suspicion. Cause if a military person goes in there, that's suspicious. If another civilian goes in there, they're not going to let him close. He could be part of a conspiracy, but Alan going over there, it has a weird, almost innocence to it. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So damn, she's definitely involved. I don't know to the extent, but still, yeah. So Gaius addresses the press. Rosalind listens to him, and this is a great scene. Oh, so good. I love watching Lee and Ty discuss assassins, and Rosalind doesn't even listen because she's focused on what Gaius is saying. Yeah, absolutely. And after Gaius is done talking, and she's convinced, based off of the shit he's saying, and her fucking words are, I'm going to win this thing. (laughs) It's that moment where you know she's going to solicit guys Baltar's help in some capacity. I still didn't think she was going to ask him to be the VP until she literally asked him because I thought that is impossible, right? <laughs> no, in this I in this scene, the way she when she takes off her glasses, she leans closer, she's oh, really awesome. listening. I was like, "Are you serious? You're going to ask him to be right. VP?" I fucking knew it. That's what I was thinking. I was like, "There's no way she's going to do that, right? There's no fucking way." Of all people. And that's what's so great. The contrast between him sitting in his lab by himself being like, oh, God, politics, the bullshit speeches are so boring and awful. Sure. And then he's out there really taking command of the mic. Everybody's absorbed in him. And he does both. He's good at this, man. He's good at it. And he does both the pandering bullshit and making good points within it as well. Like he kind of has that alluring message where people want to listen and he's still getting across a more valid point. You're either charming or you're not. If you're charming, you can get away with saying some bullshit up there and people are going to eat it up. If you're not charming and you try that, then people see through the veil. And if you're not charming, even if you're up there giving absolute truth and executable ideas, but in a boring ass way, nobody listens. Nobody cares. Absolutely. That was Wally's problem. That was the issue that Roslyn is a political... I not you know political thinker well enough to understand that it's not that Wally can't do the job; it's that he can't convince people he can do the job. Like I, I he's not going to be winning over public opinion the way Zarek can or no. the way Gaius can. And he was losing. He was losing, he was losing yeah. ground. He was losing. And uh, so she has Wally step <laughs> the down. The next That's scene hard. is her fucking dumping him. It's whole. <laughs> she's like oh, walking arm in arm. I'm like it's not you, Wally. It's me. <laughs> awesome. And then the second thing she does is recruiting Gaius. And you brushed on this at the beginning. And when she says, I want you for your intellect and your popularity. That's the only word that matters. Uh, the rest was flattery at best. What's great about both of those things is, is that his intellect and his popularity are important to him, as we've seen. He likes being popular. Oh, we've yeah. seen that. We've seen him. He does like the spotlight. When he's sitting in the Quorum of Twelve, he's just sitting there. No one's saying, ah, yes, guy, yes. They're just like, whatever. He's just part of this thing. He doesn't even realize this until it starts to happen. And when the president says that, I don't, I want you, I mean, it's it's great because it shows you, <laughs> it shows you how simple guys can be on the one hand and how he doesn't care about her interests. <laughs> True. He, 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 doesn't, he doesn't care that her interests are so base. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true because a lot of people. Because if that was any other leader, they would have been insulted. <laughs> oh, because I'm fucking popular. You want to just coast on my image? You don't care about exactly. my ideas? And guys, it's like, ooh, you think I'm popular? <laughs> like, 
Yes. Uh, it's true. She manipulates him. It's fucking brilliant. Uh, it's so good. I love it. It's great. And he's like, okay, done. <laughs> oh, done deal. Gonna go fucking curl his hair somewhere. Yep, and then she and then he goes to give Playa an exclusive in the bathroom. He's plowing her now. Yeah, he give her the old round two. He just had to go out there and spruce up. Yep, uh, Starbuck and Lee are hanging out. Lee says that Zarek will bide his time now. It's almost like they're saying, "Don't worry about Zarek for a little while here." This scene. Yeah, yeah, or that she doesn't have to for a minute. Yep. Yeah, they make fun of Starbucks hygiene, which is simply to set up the end of this episode. Uh, Gaius wins the vote. We have celebrations. He fucking, you know, he's addressing the people and we see Starbuck cleaned up nice and we get a little nice ending here with her and Lee dancing, Adama dancing with Rosalind, which was cute. I like the way he starts bopping up and down. Very cute. Very adorable. I liked liked it. it. Zara congratulates Rosalind on her politics, of course. He knows that he was outfoxed by a more crafty politician. Mm -hmm. Out-electioneered. He does say, I didn't kill Vance. That's the big moment. Yeah, he's saying, hey, I didn't fucking do it. So this isn't as... Why would he say that here? I mean, why... First of all, he doesn't really... Rosalind, he he must know Rosalind's going to believe what Rosalind wants to believe. Oh, yeah. Why say it? Is he he saying it because he feels he needs to get it off his chest because he didn't? Or do you think he's trying to convince her he didn't? I I think he's actually trying to convince her. And I think it's not... I think it's a little bit of a tactic of like, hey, don't think you've just got, you just pulled off a perfect little victory here and it's all done and tidy and tied up that, hey, I didn't do that. So don't think it's that easy. Like, I didn't do this thing you thought was just in the bag, uh, that you understood what really happened. I didn't do it. So there's still some dangling loose ends out there, some other people involved in this that you do not even understand yet. I think he was just prodding. Do you think that Ellen was overzealous in her helping of Tom Zarek and killing Valance, and that's not what he really wanted? This is where I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit lost. Like, I'm not sure how I feel yet. I think that's a possibility. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I think the main thing here was, at least in my, my idea of it, is, is Zarek trying to point out that this is not all so neatly concluded like you think it is. I see. So in other words, you think Zarek saying... Look, I didn't kill Vance. It's just him saying. You, you, I guess what I'm trying to ask you is: is why? Say, what is he saying here? Is he saying I didn't kill Vance? Seriously, I didn't. Yeah. Or is he saying because 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 he thinks he's going to fool Rosalind? Or is he saying I didn't kill Vance? I, I guess fuck what I am trying to say <laughs> is A or B. You tell me what you think. Do you think? Do you think Tom Zarek wanted Val? And it's Valance, not Vance. Do you think he wanted Valance dead? Or 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 what? Ooh, see, as far as him wanting Valance dead or not, that I I I really cannot say at all. I have no fucking idea. I got you. As far as what I what he wants to get across to Rosalind, I think it's a little it's a it's mixed because I think he's both kind of congratulating her in a way of like, hey, you fucking outfoxed me, you did it, uh, you know, whatever. It's not over. Good on you, and yeah, that both saying that. The whole situation you're involved in and that I'm I'm at you at odds with you is uh, it's not over. It's not done. It's not concluded. And also saying that it's not just me out there. I've got other supporters. There are other people involved in this. You know, it's not just me on my lone little mission. And, and now you've beaten me that I've got mm. kind of like the Cylon threat of like, you know, it's not that we can crush you. It's that we have sleeper cells everywhere. You don't even know who and where we are. And I think it's kind of the same sure. thing of like, I've got people out here who support me and you don't even understand who they are. 
and just kind of gotcha. a flexing of power of this isn't all done. There's still, you know, this is a multi-pronged, multi-fronted war that I'm waging on you. That was just one little battle, and I have more people than you realize. I think that's kind of what he was saying. Gotcha. I wonder. I wonder why. Uh, do Do you think that's? Do you think he's doing that? What would motivate a man to do that? Mm. Ego. I yeah. Like I, I did lose, and I just want you to know this ain't over. Like, oh, shaking my fist. Yeah. You know, and as I'm saying it, there's another part of me that wonders if it truly is a benevolent thing where he's actually going, hey, you beat me, you got it. But just to let you know that I didn't do that. So you better be looking out like there might be other things out here, other things going on. Ah. And there's a part of me that wonders that. I'm like, I don't know which it is. I think they're both equally possible. Yeah, I like it, kid. All right, cool. I just wanted you to work through that. I was curious. Oh, it's been a good session of therapy. (laughs) BSG therapy. (laughs) So Ellen gives uh, Ty a gift, and uh, she's she's staring back at Tom Zarek, who kind of nods in approval to her. What would you take from this little interaction? Again, another point where I'm like, ah, what the fuck? What does this mean? Like, I she, Ellen is, has gone from being a total not one dimensional character, but a person who I'm like, I've got to. A grasp on them. I think they're just going to be the wild card person who a, a peripheral, a, a peripheral, a peripheral you know? wild card person who affects a more central person, and that their their sure. primary uh, ability is to further the other. Yeah, yeah, that they have effects on. You know, she has a major effect on Ty, which has a big effect on everything else. It's not so much her sure. herself. Whereas now I'm going, nah, shit, she's another. You know, there's a whole universe under her that we don't know, and we, her, like her, her reasoning. I don't know. Maybe Zarek's just like, I'm going to hit that too. But like, I don't know. <laughs> Using his best Thai voice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, awesome. Cool, man. So we then get our reveal on Caprica, which is Hilo seeing another boomer. Oh, yeah. And now this, it's funny because Fuck. this is not, in, in a way, it's not really a major reveal because we as the audience, well, we've known this whole fucking time. It's not a surprise. It's a huge reveal for him. It's a Hilo. huge reveal for him. And um and not for the audience. And he doesn't take it very well. <laughs> he just hits the ground and Forrest gumps it all the way away. Just keeps awesome. Running. That's so great. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that he. There's there's something very admirable in him just running the fuck away and being like, I don't. I got to wrap my head around. This. Yeah, and I like that it didn't come down to some showdown of him pointing a gun at her and be like, hey, You wanted them? Like he just is like, ah, I'm fucking done. Getting the fuck out of here. This is insane. Crazy. Uh, Good stuff. Me. Yeah. Oh boy, Hilo. Poor oh Hilo. Yeah, he's had a rough go. He's had it's a been rough a rough show go. for him. A real rough go. I feel go. bad for this dude. And you know, he got the plow boomer, which is nice. Good on him. That's true. And I I feel genuinely bad for Caprica Boomer, too. Like I there's a part of me that was like, uh. "Oh, Hilo, go back. Like she's not like them. Come on." Fuck. <laughs> so you you definitely believe that hook line and sinker now that she is not like them. I think so. I, I am 90% yeah. on that camp. There's a still, the, the t- last 10% of me goes, maybe she really does love him and is on board with him now, but that the Cylons still have some switch they can throw in her mind and switch her back. Like they still have, at the end of the day, final control. I got gotcha. you. know. But I think that, yeah, in her, the way she sees the world, her consciousness right now, she really is, I'm abandoning the Cylons and I'm in love with Hilo. I think that she really does mean it. Awesome. Good stuff, man. Oh, yeah. And then, and of course, all the flashbacks of him running away, thinking of all the shit they talked about, and her saying "trust me," him remembering well, how she doesn't get you know, tired. She's chasing yeah. after him. She did she shoot the other mom? She did. She, she stepped did, right? out and wasted yeah, that boomer because that boomer was starting to draw down on him. 
What'd you think of that? I that's what I'm saying. That's part of that. It pushed me even further to like, wow, she really fucking is on board. You know, uh, although we saw her do that to a six, which was very much a part of the original plan. Mm. Um, mm. But I think, yeah, I think that that this moment here where she shoots the other clone of 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 Boomer is, yeah, it's genuine that she was trying to help him. And some of the facial expressions are are, are her when she's sitting there and she's like her hand in her head and she looks stressed out. That's Hilo doesn't see that. She's not acting for yeah. Hilo. That's her feeling something. Exactly. Exactly. Awesome. Good shit, awesome. man. Good. Well, that concludes the episode, buddy. Yes, sir. Fun to talk about. Good oh, stuff. Yeah. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, let's get into our trivia segment and then we'll wrap with some final thoughts. And I do have a question for you in final thoughts. Ooh, okay. But before we do that, let's hit up our trivia, All buddy. All right. All right. So we're going to tease some Kobold's Last Gleaming Part 1 again. We will not be having a trivia segment next week. We will resume regular trivia or we'll do something different. Haven't decided for season two. Mm-hmm. So, Rosalind's... Okay, here are the questions. They're going to be true or false. Back to true or false. You ready? Ready. Rosalind's visions fortify her growing faith in the prophecies, but Adama doesn't support her ideas around what he considers superstition. True or false? Mm, I'm going to say true. Okay. Starbucks' sexual proclivities <laughs> put an enormous strain on her relationship with Lee. True or false? Who she be fucking? Who she be fucking? Who she be fracking? Who she be fracking up in here? Damn. If anyone, it could be That's false. That's what I'm saying. Could be true. I can't think of anybody she'd be boning down on. Uh, I'm going to say false. It was. Number three. Gaius Baltar speaks with a named character who ends up with a gun in their mouth. Oh. For, for a second there, I really thought the question ended at, Gaius Baltar speaks with a named character. I was like, uh, I'm going to go with true, I think. Six. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Pretty easy. It's in her in his fucking head. Right. Speaks with a named character who ends up with a gun in their mouth. Yep. I don't want to say main character, but I don't want to say a nobody. I don't want to make it too, too easy. I'm going to say true, and that sounds like a boomer situation to me. Is that going to be your bonus answer? Do I get... <laughs> wait, were you yeah, going to ask go me a bonus it. one? Or Yes. Were you seriously? No, I just... We're going to go right, with fuck it. fuck it. I will say boomer. I think, yeah. I think, what do I get? How many blowjobs for that, if that's actually correct? Uh, 1.5. <laughs> a full and a half. <laughs> Which is... <laughs> All right. Finally, Starbuck learns about Admiral Adama's deception surrounding the location of Earth. Starbuck learns of his deception. Yeah. Ooh, I like that because she's the faithful religious one of the two. She also loves the man. Exactly. That's some good. That's some, if if regardless of whether that's true or not, that's some good writing. That would be good. Um, I'm going to say true. All right. So just to go back over these, Rosalind's visions fortify her growing faith in the prophecy, and Adama does not support her ideas surrounding what he considers superstition. Uh, you said true. Starbucks sexual proclivities put an enormous strain on her relationship with Lee. You said false. Guys, Balthar speaks with a named character who ends up with a gun in their mouth. You say true. And the bonus is the character in question is Boomer. Number five, Starbuck learns about Admiral Adama's deception surrounding the location of Earth. You said true to that. Mm-hmm. You done? I think so. That's it. All right, brother. Boy, awesome. Boy. I'm going to turn over here. I got these in the studio, pal. And I, hold on, let me stick them up. Uh-oh. I stick them up on the wall there, and then I have them for next week. Ah. All right. Yes. You said you had a question for me in the final thoughts here. What's your question? 
Do you like Colonial Day more or less after this podcast? Uh, more, for sure. That's for sure. Awesome. Uh, what specifically did you not give too much thought to that you gave more thought to that you think is what has swayed your opinion a little more? What, what were some of the finer points of the episode that upon review stood out to you that have, have made you like it a little bit more? Um, Ellen's interactions. Ellen's interactions with uh, Zarek in the bar and at the inn there and wondering what her character is involved in and how involved she is. Um, and then, uh, then I mean, I, I would definitely say I going forward, I am more curious than I was at first about how Gaius is going to behave and uh, what this will actually <sighs> – what this will mean, not just for him being in the office, but for uh, the the conflicts I can see coming there that if I could make a prediction would be, you know, the silent detector and the the blood tests and, and you know, Adama and other people being like, well, how what's going to get done here? Like, what are you going to be a fucking vice president <laughs> now? And who's going to do this shit? Like just some some complications there where he starts to appear more power hungry uh, to people who mm. initially maybe did trust him more. Um, those those things going forward definitely have me enjoying this a lot. Do you believe in the prophecy? Do I think that the prophecy they're referring to is real? Yes. Do you think it will come to pass? That she will lead them, she will succumb to a wasting disease? You know, I think I think that it will, but not because the prophecy itself is true, but through Cylon prodding and manipulation, they're going to make it essentially come true. It's interesting. Do you think Gaius Baltow will still be the vice president when that happens? Ooh, fuck. I didn't even think about that. That's such mm. an important thing. I didn't even it didn't even glance on my mind. Um, damn. I mean, I do. I think for one, Rosalind's gonna get out of this season. I think. Fuck. Okay. I think. Shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, no, I think she'll survive. But I do. Yeah. Shit. I guess I. If I had to guess right now, I think um, Gaius is still gonna be VP when that whenever that happens. Which means that you that you think you could potentially be the leader at some point. Yeah, I guess mm. so. It's fucking crazy. Let's. Let, let me let's let me keep let me keep getting your the, the mixer going since we're at the end of the season. Yeah. Well, we're about to be. About to be. Um, Leoben said, "All of this, all of this has happened before. All of it will happen again. I see the patterns. I see these truths. What do you think about that? Especially as it relates to six prompting him. She prompts him. Do you think she prompted him that he was going to become quorum of twelve? Do you think six somehow knew he was going to become VP? Oh, oh yeah, no. That in that moment, she she made him second. Uh, you know, Zarek's idea of right. nominating uh, a VP because she wanted to maneuver him into that spot. Um, do you do you think she thought she was gonna that he was gonna be that she? Do you think she thought, holy shit, not only did I get him on the quorum, I got him VP? Or do you think that that was always part of her always, plan? Always, always a part of the plan. Ah, interesting. I really do. Um, I think that's a, that's the thing. But it's, I don't think it's that, ah, there, this, there is an underlying spirituality and the prophecy is true. I think it's that the Cylons understand the human belief system and they are making reality fit it. They're like, okay, what has to happen next in the prop? What is the prophecy say is going to happen next? All right, well, let's manipulate the things we need to in order to make that happen. Uh, for, I don't know why that's so, important to the Cylons, but I think it evidently is. It's funny It's funny you say that because it, depending on how far it goes, could really start to make the, make the manipulation more unbelievable than some sort of religious prophecy, right? <laughs> like 
the grand scale of orchestration that one would have to embark upon to, to make it yeah, actually Yeah, it's like happen. one of these conspiracy theories where it's like when you break it down, there would be like four right. million people involved who are keeping their mouths quiet, shut. It's like, yeah, it's just, right. it just becomes insane. It's, it's less likely than the actual truth, right? It's it's just ludicrously unlikely. And see, that's it. And I'm, I'm not saying that's the case yes. here, but I'm just saying, you it's know, crazy. if you... If, right, if they're manipulating it based on their faith, not only are they really believing, I mean, you, you would have to believe that the visions that she's having are implants by the Cylons because they're trying to use her to manipulate the whole fleet to follow this prophecy because they want it to be fulfilled for some weird reason, maybe because that's something to do with their religious end, and that they're putting all these benchmarks in this journey that they've put there that are not in fact prophetic at all, but but more of a grand manipulation, this Machiavellian scheme that the Cylons are pulling the strings and the fleet are dancing along the edge of this prophecy. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And, you know, it's one of those things. I'm somebody who I don't buy into, as much as I love the joke about it, conspiracy theories are laughable to me in general. Like It's, it's insane. The idea of the sheer amount of effort and coordination and all the people who have to be involved, the literally millions of moving parts to pull off this thing that really doesn't directly benefit anyone it's silly it's crazy but as far as cylons go with their technology their hive mind i'm able to you know spread their consciousness across a thousand bodies at once this is shit they can do like they could do that they have the means the technology the ability to do these kinds of things and and have this kind of widespread manipulation i i think that is within their you know that's that's not within human range but it's certainly within cylon range yeah you know i don't want to get too much on a tangent but when when Conspiracy is a funny thing. And um, I think conspiracy theory, I think conspiracy, I think the word conspiracy is essentially a pejorative that is used to essentially straw man things. In my opinion, as you, as you probably imagine, I am probably more prone to believe in, quote, conspiracy. <laughs> but I think the word conspiracy is very handily used. I think if you eject the word conspiracy from our parlance, then people are going to go, so this group conspired with this group to make this other thing happen. Why is that so unreal to people? Yeah. Right? And, and you know, when I, one of the things, I, as it should be no, 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 uh, nothing new to anybody who listens to LSG Media in general, but I'm a fan of Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan says, if you believe that two people decide to do something and then that thing happens, he says, then you essentially believe in conspiracy. It's just a different way to, to go about labeling it. Now, there's 9-11 truthers, there's, there's that. <laughs> and then they're saying, well, this company decided to work with this company to come up with this price fixing so they could not cannibalize each other. You could say, that's a conspiracy. Or you could just say, that's something they decided to do. And that's, but as soon as you say conspiracy, yeah. people go, oh, it's fucking bullshit. <laughs> like, it's just this weird way. It's, it's, it's thought controlled by, by linguistics. And that's something I think we're, we're very fond of doing. So... I think that there's a lot of bullshit out there, like your classic quote, classic conspiracy theories, I think are bullshit. But I also think the word conspiracy is a word that is very. It's easily, yeah, you could easily dismiss something like that. You just throw conspiracy on it and everybody goes, oh, well, that must be bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, did, uh, you know, did Japan come up with this idea to do this thing and then fly their planes to fucking blow up Hawaii? Holy shit, what a crazy conspiracy. It fucking happened. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. like, what, you could have called it a conspiracy leading up to it, uh, you know, and that's and that's what I mean. Like it just, I guess it just depends on, I 
I think it's, I'm very, because linguistics are so easy to program people's brains with. But again, I don't want to go off on a tangent on that, but it's, it does link back to the episode where you succinctly state that with Cylons, if you have a shared collective in, in unlimited communication, wow, you can really set plans in motion that are easy to execute because of the vast amount of communication and the fact that you're dealing with maybe a singular conscious, maybe one organism based on some of your theories, which is, is awesome. I like that a lot. And at the end of the day, all conspiracies always lead back to Mel Gibson biting off Patrick Stewart's nose. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I don't know what that is. <laughs> what does that's that the mean? Movie conspiracy. Oh, that's right. <laughs> Come on. It was called conspiracy theory, wasn't it? No, it was just called conspiracy. Just conspiracy? Holy You got to catch these references, baby. Yeah. Well, I'm not going to pretend I know him when I don't. Sure. That was one I definitely was like, what the fuck? Because it, it was ringing a bell, a very faint bell, a rusty old bell in my head. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Boy. All right. I think it's easier to say there's not a... There's not a uh, a dark evil plan be- behind everything that happens. That, that might be an easier way to say it. Like, <laughs> True. Maybe maybe I'm just getting hung up on, on semantics, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. All right, dude. This is fun. I'm glad we talked about Colonial Day. I'm glad you like a little bit more now. Definitely. Um, I I loved this episode because I loved. Listen, it's not perfect. Some of the stuff with Lee bothers me. There's a little inconsistency there that I wasn't fond of. And uh, I don't think a ton of shit happens other than the most the, the most important thing here is, is that Gaius becomes a fucking VP. And a lot of that's overshadowed by the conspiracy surrounding Tom Zarek. And uh, I like that. You know, I like the idea of, uh, of, of what this means going forward. And that's why I wanted to present to you, do you believe in the prophecy? Do you think she makes it? Do you think Gaius can be the leader? Like, there's a lot of implications here behind what simply seems like a man falling into a position. But a position that is as they say in the modern times, a heartbeat away from the presidency. Yeah, absolutely. It's wild to think and about. And also, I am so, um, so sorry. It is indeed called conspiracy theory, not conspiracy. I'm so sorry, Dean. Oh, it is. You're right. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, I didn't remember the part, but I remember the fucking title. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> but, that's a good, but that's my point. Like, you know, if Tom Zarek hires this guy to kill Rosalind, that is essentially a conspiracy. But if you just say, oh my God, this guy contracted somebody to murder somebody, that you would... As soon as you use the word conspiracy, you go, wait, I don't know if I believe it. But if you just say, this guy contracted this guy to kill this person, yeah, it's like, oh, okay. But if I say, there's a conspiracy involving a plot to kill it, and then it suddenly sounds less believable. It's just so funny. Anyway, I'm fucking done waxing poetic about some shit I don't know nothing about. <laughs> All right, I'm fucking looking forward to the, to the next one. Yeah. And I think, I guess we can, uh, we can go ahead and say we're probably going to do one big episode that covers the uh the the last two episodes and just break it into a two piecer so we'll yeah. it'll be we're going to probably record for 3 straight hours or more on the next sure. one and then break that into two podcasts covering the final two episodes of the first season yep we might we we we're not 100% on that but it won't really affect the end product for anybody i don't think yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's done. We're going to be done with season 1. Unbelievable. Damn. I'm I'm so excited about this. This is great. Ah, so looking forward to it. All right. Well, we are going to get our asses to bed. At least I'm going to. It's getting late where I am. And uh, we will see you guys next time. 